So this evening I'd like to give a Dharma reflection and I just want to start with checking, you know, can you hear me or everyone? Thank you. And also I wanted to, you know, acknowledge the presence of, of the Jesus here. <laughs> Because it's such a, a different uh, depiction of how to meet suffering, you know, than the Buddha. But they're both, you know, kind of doing the same thing, just in a very different way. And usually it's always covered up, you know, with uh, some kind of a tarp. But this year we thought, no, we don't want to cover him up again. And, uh, you know, it's a very stark image and uh, recently, I don't know if, you have see, if some of you have seen, you know, on the media, there's an image of baby Jesus on a pile of rubble in one of the churches in Bethlehem. It's a very powerful image. It's gone around, you know, in the, on the internet and, and there was also a very powerful um, sermon of one of the uh, priests at the church. And uh, so I wanted to start with a poem because it was so really powerful to see the baby Jesus on the, on the pile of rubble. And this is a poem by a Jewish poet called Leon Wieseltier. And it's called sink so as to rise, sink in the sense of going down, sinking down. Sink so as to rise. There are circumstances that must shatter you. And if you are not shattered, then you have not understood your circumstances. In such circumstances, it is a failure for your heart not to break. And it is pointless to put up a fight, for a fight will blind you to the opportunity that has been presented by your misfortune. Do you wish to persevere brightfully in the old life? Of course you do. The old life was a good life but it is no longer available to you. It has been carried away irreversibly. So there is only one thing to be done. Transformation must be met with transformation. Where there was the old life, let there be the new life. Do not persevere. Dignify the shock. Sink so as to rise. And this poem is from a book called Kaddish, and it's the Jewish word for prayers for the dead. So I thought it was a very, you know, apt poem for our times, I think. You know, where the old life, we can't go back to the old life. Because we were always thinking, you know, after COVID is over, we're going to just go back and then we do what we did before but there is no going back. I think we have all noticed that. And because I think, you know, the pressure of the limitations of the biosphere of this planet is, you know, emerging as the climate crisis, but also this, all of these wars, you know, and these territorial fights and all of that is becoming more intense. Even, you know, the pressure of the biosphere might be unconscious for, for many of us. But I think it's part of what is playing out. And the weakest spots, you know, are kind of exploding out first. And, you know, some which are historically already, you know, very... have a lot of trauma, have a lot of chaos energy. And I think that's what we see, and it's the question is, where's the next explosion going to happen? Maybe next year in America? We don't know what's going to happen. So, so 
So there's a lot of you know uncertainty, and there's always uncertainty, of course, we know that. But there's times when there's more, more kind of um, in intensity of it. And, uh, you know, I think the only solution which is still left open, you know, because there's no more places to go because, you know, there's so many people and it doesn't look like anytime soon we're going to terraform any other planet where we could all go, 8 billion people. So we need to make it work here. And, and you know, as a human being, that's what our work is, to, to really sense, you know, sense the gravity when you're sitting. It shows you very clearly, you know, where you belong for the time of having such a body as a, as a human being has. Because it, you know, comes out of the planet with all its elements and then, you know, does things and uh, is a riding animal for consciousness. So consciousness can have experiences and hopefully expand more, not contract. And then when the time comes, you know, the body dies and goes back where it has come from. And, you know, I personally think that if we let go of that assumption, you know, that we are in the center of life on this planet, we can learn something completely new about how to conduct ourselves, you know, not just as, as a species amongst many other species, but also how to conduct ourselves amongst our own species. We can learn from other species, you know, who do a much better job than us. And, and we are just such a young species, very immature. We are considered, you know, the youngest species on the planet right now. But we behave, you know, and we try to control everyone. Like if we, if we would be the ones who know everything better than everybody else meaning, you know, the modern human life, which we try to, you know, enlist to serve us, to serve our plans. And, uh, and it's getting more and more um, complex. And uh, I think for those who are willing to see, can see, you know, that we are really not capable, you know, of uh, controlling what's going on on this planet in a good way, because we have tried for such a long time and we have made quite some progress in, in sciences and technology, but we haven't made much progress in, in ethics and in um, capacity, you know, to... Um, to see the bigger context, you know, of who we really are. And, uh, you know, I have chosen this poem to sink so as to rise, because I think if we can sink back, sinking, not sinking, sinking, doing less of that, <laughs> and doing more of that, you know, of, of reconnecting, with where we come from. And I find it very interesting, the three words, humus, you know, in terms of really good quality, black earth is called humus, and humility, and human, you know, those three words, they have the same three uh, letters in the beginning. I find that a very interesting uh, um, serendipity. And then there's also the word humor, which also has the same three letters in the beginning. So I thought those four words, you know, those four words alone can actually give us a lot of direction. The humility being made the most important one, you know, because we need to come back down from the head, you know, with all its very disembodied ideas of what would be a good thing to do. And uh, so humus, 
humility, humor, and human. Those four words, I think they hold a lot of power, you know, if we can uh, bring them home. And, and I'd like to, over the next days in the retreat, you know, try to share with you some reflections on that and some guided meditations also, who, which bring those four words together. Most of all, you know, considering the possibility that it might not be entirely left up to us, you know, to, to save the day, you know, that we have to do it all with the thinking mind, because if that would be the case, there wouldn't be much hope, you know, I don't think. So to allow the, you know, the, to allow the, the thought that if we continue, you know, with business as usual, that it might actually not be really what we want in the first place. It was just like, you know, what happens to, to immature beings, you know, they get very, you know, caught up in their emotions and, and lose the, the context, get very kind of tense, you know, get very contracted and, and then, you know, acting out from that and repeating the same thing again and again and again. And uh, if we could, you know, explore that and really, you know, sit with that tension, sit with that trouble more fully, I think there would be a chance, you know, to start to see that You know, that, that um, inability, you know, to be with the discomfort of that is at the root of, of many of the decisions which are made, you know, and, and some of those decisions have not at all, you know, brought the results which were hoped for because they were made from a very incomplete context and then, you know, it's it's not going to hold for a very long time because there's too much excluded uh, from the picture. And uh, so there's so much unfinished business, you know, so much unacknowledged ethical transgression, so much trauma, so much undigested material that, you know, a critique alone does no longer lead to any results. Because of course there's a lot to critique, because there's a lot of mistakes being made, but to constantly you know, point out the mistakes doesn't really bring much relief, you know, other than in the moment when you're speaking out the critique, you feel better maybe for a minute or two. But then, you know, nothing changes. So we need also creativity in order to kind of start to look at the situation in a completely different way. And I think that's, you know, the evolutionary threshold we are on as a species to, of course, you know, critique needs to happen and, and resistance needs to happen, all of those things, but it's not enough. There needs to be something else, you know, which needs to come in, which creates more space because there is not more space to be found you know, on the planet because it's, it isn't, it is what it is, you know, it can't, we can't make it bigger. And there's so many people and, and there are so many areas on the planet you know, which become increasingly less desirable because we have made a mess of it. So we need to kind of uh, find other ways to create space. And, uh, and I think by looking at the life we have got in different ways than before. And uh, you know, I think the most obvious way is to, to really start to consciously experience ourselves as, as part of this living intelligent process 
which we call you know planet Earth, that it is actually a self-regulating being, you know, which is doing its job since over four billion years without anyone directing it. <laughs> but it has, you know, developed the, the capacity over this very, very long, long time. We can't even, you know, imagine what four billion years are. But the bodies of, you know, which we have got are part of the planet and have been developed over this very, very deep time. And they have an innate intelligence which we can start to notice consciously, you know, by, by using um, awareness, by using mindfulness in a particular way. And, you know, the Buddha has given us the four establishments of mindfulness, the four satipatthana, and kaya body is the first of those four establishments. And there's three practices in, in that first establishment. Um, contemplation of the body parts, contemplation of the elements, and then um, contemplation of uh, death. And, you know, the element contemplation can be uh, you know, a foundational practice which we can uh, use and then, you know, from that practice start to see our body in a very different light than usual. And, uh, and seeing, you know, that we, we are in constant exchange with the planet through eating, drinking, breathing, going to the bathroom, crying, sweating, and all of those things which we are doing. And, and we never cut the umbilical cord. There's always an exchange happening. And you know, to think about that or hear it is one thing, but to repeatedly you know, consciously experience that truth changes us. And I think at this point in history, this meditation is, has a lot of um, wordless wisdom to teach us. And, you know, and there can be this kind of communication between us and this planet because the the elements, you know, which make up our bodies and which make up this house here and which make up the planet we are sitting on are all made, you know, from the same elements. So they can, you know, there is a way of uh, sensing into that which enables us, you know, to be informed in the true sense of the word, you know, that there is something arising into our form by the fact that we are made out of that same stuff which has an intelligence. And we cannot understand that intelligence very well, you know, with our mind, but the, with our thinking mind, let's say, with the dualistic thinking mind, but there's other ways of receiving that info, information through the body. And the word information says it all for me. You know, it is, is a kind of knowing which becomes part of the form which we have, which are these bodies, which ha and these bodies have, have an intelligence which we can familiarize ourselves with. And it's a training, you know, like anything else. If you learn, want to learn to play the piano or anything, you can't just like sit down and play, you know, one hour and then you know it. How, how to do it. Some people know, maybe Mozart or somebody, you know, one in a billion, or one in a million. But most people need to, you need to um, train, need to put in many, many hours. So, so you know, because the, those, you know, workings of the planet being, you know, which is a self-organizing being, is a mystery still today, you know, to science. But we can learn how to relate to that intelligence 
if we choose to do it, you know. If we choose to do that, we can learn it. And, for example, you know, many of the indigenous people have never lost that capacity because they haven't been so occupied, you know, with other learnings as we have here in the more, quote-unquote, developed uh, cultures. So, because we also have bodies, just like any indigenous people have, we can also reawaken that capacity in our bodies, if we choose to do it. And, uh, you know, choose to relate to that mystery with respect and with uh, interest. This is what is meant, you know, with sinking to the ground. And, uh, you know, and investigate and, and let go of, of some of the central thought patterns of, of our time, you know, which is all about extractive capitalism, patriarchy, and all of those, you know, outmoded ideas which do no longer work or we are, which are on the way, you know, of... of breaking up, breaking apart. And rather than, you know, trying to frantically glue it together again, I think we should take an interest in what reveals itself in those cracks, you know, as it is breaking apart. Because that's where we can learn, you know, how to live more sustainably. And even it's a scary process, I don't think we have any other avenue really open to us because even if we try to glue it together, you know, constantly, it's always going to break again because it's, it's on the way out. And uh, so, you know, the uh, Dharma actually means one of the translations for the word Dharma is nature or laws of, law of nature. And in the, in the Thai language, you know, the, the word for natural, which is used in modern Thai language, is dhammachat. So the word, you know, chat, chati or chat means, means born or birth. So natural is, <coughs> means actually uh, literally translated from the Thai, dhammachat means born of nature. And... Uh, So, you know, if we really take that serious, you know, the, the innate intelligence of this planet which has capacity to self-regulate and to heal, you know, then we could actually really apprentice ourselves to that if we choose to do that. You know, just like when, when we cut our finger, you know, we don't need to do anything much. You just clean it up and then put maybe a band-aid and then it heals. But if you constantly cut it every day, you just pull and cut it again, it's not going to heal. But if you just, you know, protect it, it's just, it's going to heal without us doing anything much. And that's, you know, really what nature is capable of doing if we stop cutting. And uh, I was recently teaching a retreat with a friend at Cloud Mountain and she's trained as a biologist and, you know, has worked in environmental policy for over 30 years and seen the limitations, you know, of trying to fix the crisis on the same level which has created it. And, you know, she told me about a, a phenomenon in nature which is called ref refugium or refugia. And... Uh, she said, you know, in the 80s, the, there was a volcano in, I think it's in Oregon or Washington, which is called Mount St. Helen, and it erupted and covered like a big area of land with a thick layer of ashes. And, you know, scientists were thinking it will take a few hundred years for life to come back and that it would come from outside. You know, it would be either 
birds would bring you know different seeds or wind would blow in seeds and that how it would come back but in reality it was very different after about you know 20 years or so they could see that life was coming back and it came back in very small pockets you know which were throughout that area where for example there was a bush or a tree or some boulders or, or rocks and the lava flow or the ashes you know would not completely cover like the small area where that rock would you know protect it or a tree would protect it and then inside from those protected areas they were called refugia or refugium the life would come back you know these little pockets of life and then they would start to link up with each other and that's how it got uh, green again you know it was much much shorter than what was thought and it happened very different than what was thought so I find this is a great um, um, encouragement you know we don't need to um, hold on you know to all of our thoughts of we need to do what we can to not allow all of this to break apart. And then, you know, in that frantic effort, you know, becoming so fearful and becoming so um, aversive, you know, that, that we get more and more kind of contracted and unable to see what is, you know, beckoning us through, the, through those cracks, you know, which are opening up. And uh, I think what's coming through the cracks is this self-healing capacity. We can learn to consciously tap into through our bodies. Because our bodies have arisen out of that planet we are sitting on right now. You know, just via the support of our mothers, you know, but nevertheless, it's all made of the same elements. And, uh, you know, through those bodies, we, we have a communication line into that vast uh, flow of intelligence. And, uh, you know, that might sound all a bit weird, you know, if you've never heard it before, but to just allow that consideration, you know, to resonate with your body over this retreat and see, you know, maybe it's not as strange as it sounds to the dualistic thinking mind, you know. Maybe it isn't that outlandish, you know, as it might sound for, when you hear it for the first time. And, uh, you know, just allowing that, you know, uncertainty and doubt to just be there and, and, and see, you know, what reveals itself. Because we do have time. We have, you know, more than a week time for this. And... Uh, you know, just you know, to to um, take a neutral stance and 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 see if there is a resonance there, and if you know, if we can allow ourselves to receive some updates, you know, from this intelligence, which is so much vaster than our own. To, to get some updates about who we really are, you know, and what, what those bodies really are. And uh, seeing, you know, that the hyper-individualism, you know, of the last few decades has really kind of, you know, divorced us from living in a, in a 
appreciation of a, of a, of a vaster context, you know, in terms of vaster context in terms of nature and also in terms of society, you know, being so overly concerned with the individual, the individual that uh, that had some benefits for sure, you know, but also we have lost something, which, you know, we need to... Um, Notice that uh, we can't live, you know, in isolation from the vaster context. It just doesn't work. Not one species, you know, can live in isolation from the whole context, and we also can't. We are not special. We are unique, you know, but we are not special in terms of our origin and in terms of our needs we are just like one of many and uh, you know this hyper individualism has has fragmented that knowing which some of the indigenous people have still active and uh, because of that we we're becoming more and more dysfunctional which means, you know, we are destroying our own life support systems. And uh, just simply, you know, by having used our attention for a long time in a very narrow way. And now, you know, we are waking up by those limitations of the biosphere through the climate crisis and through the increasing violence and, and polarization, we are waking up because a very powerful waking up course which we are receiving. And you know, even you know, little innocent baby Jesus, you know, being shown on a heap of rubble that has never happened before since he has, you know, showed up here. And to really, you know, allowing that to, to resonate with uh, our bodily experience. Because I think the mind can't really get that, you know, what that actually means. But I think the body can much better sense, you know, the, the, the fragmentation that there's something not quite adding up anymore in a big way, you know. Because, you know, there needs to be updates. There needs to be a new way of uh, looking at what it means to be a human being, you know, in a world where there's so, so many people and it's getting more and more people, but the planet isn't growing. It's just going to stay the size it is. So, so when we try, you know, to experience ourselves as, you know, part of this vast intelligence, which can also be called Dharma, that really can enhance our perception to who we really are and when we understand ourselves in a different way, we can see solutions we couldn't see before. And I think that's the point, you know, that we don't repeat the same thing over and over again. We need to try different things. We need that creativity and that creativity can come from looking at the whole thing in a different way. And we've heard that, you know, from some of the big breakthroughs in science or in art, you know, when happened, for example, you know, if somebody was brooding over some problem for a very long time and then just gave up, you know, and have a shower and then, wow, under that 
relaxation, suddenly a complete new way of seeing and then solutions become available. And I think that's, I think what this way of experiencing ourselves in a very different way can offer. You know, if we are understanding it's not, we don't have to solve every little problem and direct, you know, life on this planet in, in order for it to work. I think it's exactly the opposite, I think. Or at least much less interference would, would be so much better. And, and that would have a price, of course, you know, we would have to live more simply, I think, you know, give up things and uh, you know look a bit less into our screens and and uh, come back again to the capacity to have a direct relationship with life rather than seeing it all through the screen and uh, Really, you know, taking that to heart that the way we look at something determines what we see. And that's really, I mean, I'm sure all of you have experienced that before in some way or another. But now it's, it's, a, it's not just a small thing, it's like our very life depends on it, you know. Or at least the life of our species, you know. We have to look differently at what it means, you know, to be a human being and it's not all just about uh, having more stuff and having more comfort, which actually turns out to be profound discomfort. It's just really all not anymore adding up, I think. And... And there is, there is definitely a way, you know, to uh, to meet this without without any guaranteed outcome, of course, you know. But there is a way to meet this, and it requires some courage, of course, you know, to to acknowledge that something is is not working. It requires some courage if one doesn't know, you know, what else to do. But if one doesn't acknowledge it, then it's never going to come to the humility, you know, and the willingness it needs, you know, to uh, start listening in a different way. Not just all about, you know, us and our comfort, but seeing things in a, in a bigger context and... And that's something we can do. And I was, you know, um, intending now to just lead us in a, in a little guided meditation. And uh, starting with where we are right now. And I'm just coming from the head into the body. <coughs> Coming to that, you know, very ancient instruction of the first establishment of mindfulness, which is around for 2,500 plus years. And to really, in a sense, the body sitting and uh, the weight of the body, the expansion and contraction of the breathing process. And to really you know, bring that capacity to sense and to feel 
back into our lives, you know, with the, which is highs and lows. Not just, you know, when we are sitting on the cushion and nothing much happening, but, but for using this body as an instrument. You know, which can actually be a, a communication line into a much vaster intelligence. But for that we need to stay connected with when there's discomfort and when there's comfort, not just choosing one. And when there's not much going on, Do not, you know, um, escape into the thinking mind, but to just stay with the body. You know, that's that feeling and sensing coming alive. That's what our world needs right now. Because the suppression, you know, of feeling and sensing makes a lot of unethical things possible, transgressions. But just, you know, shutting down and zooming out. And being willing you know, to be with this body and the discomfort, it sometimes presents. So but that's what it, yeah, what it takes, you know, to be on this evolutionary threshold into a new way of experiencing ourselves. You know, that assumption of separation, that we are just living on a, like on a chessboard or on a, on a stage going around, just sinking deeper and Noticing now we are not just on a stage. You know, and sensing the gravity which pulls us gently you know, towards the planet. And maybe even you can sense, you know, there's a willingness there. to follow that calling. To develop, you know, 
what we have gotten from evolution over this very deep time of several billion years to develop that further. What we've received you know, from our ancestors and what we will hand over to future generations to develop that further. And in that process, developing our own wisdom and compassion, our own insight in, in the empty nature of these bodies. And the empty nature in the body of the earth. Then you know, maybe some doubt comes up about maybe it's all kind of weird stuff, you know, Ayasanda Chita is saying here. Then you can you know notice that too. You know, noticing that you're not alone here, there's other people, yeah. probably 45 or so of us here sitting and sensing into that calling. You know, recognizing that you have taken the time to come for this retreat and that you already you know, have that urge to evolve in some way. And then you know, honoring that that there is already a knowing, a form of knowing there. And for your own healing and for the healing of our world. And they are always connected. We can't heal, you know, as separate entities. It doesn't work. Because we are not separate. That's one of the central insights. So just in you know, a sitting and sensing that calling to think deeper into who we really are.
by listening in with the whole body. To this wordless you know, communication which is taking place, that the vibrancy of the fullness of emptiness the spaciousness of the mind so listening into that uh, spaciousness the silence And the spaciousness which doesn't end at the walls of the hall, but which is expanding. And then, you know, being aware of that which knows about the spaciousness. Being aware of awareness. Like a mirror being aware of its capacity to reflect.
So acknowledging you know, the, the bodies which we have got to be much more than what meets the eye, you know, that these bodies are actually a way of knowing which is slowly and you know, coming online if we open up to that possibility. If we experiment with that possibility and see what happens. If we send, if we are not sinking into that, and we are making ourselves available to sense more and sink less. So in a few minutes I'm going to ring the bell and then maybe, you know, when uh, you open your eyes slowly, maybe try to not completely lose connection with the body, you know, as you sense it from inside.